we were having a conversation in the jukebox discord about like why how do I put this why the k-pop coverage was so bad one of our writers like really wasn't into k-pop for a while and then like this year she got into it like she went to see twice and she said it was life-changing and i'm like i'm so happy for you crystal i wish i was in that headspace still. <laughs> and then we we were talking about it, and then some people were like well there's this idol cast podcast that's really good i was like "Ooh, so oh wow thank you <laughs> No, it was. I I used to be like very available to people. Um, and I had, you know, open DMs and I had um, you know, comment section on my blog and people could just post comments and when I ran the Bollywood um blog, I mean I would have some really great discussions and I learned a lot from people and it made me really sad to have to shut all that down just because I just you know, I just do this for fun. I like, I don't want to deal with moderating hate comments all day. Like that's not what I'm in this for. So yeah. So I just have like the one comment box now and uh, you found it. So I'm happy. The Bollywood connection, that was like one of the first things that struck me in your um, series was that you brought up the, uh, what is it from Balam to Bollywood? Yeah. Yeah. Which I was like, oh, I didn't think anyone else had read that book, but I was uh, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised because Lagan is kind of my go-to for talking about a piece of sort of Asian art that made it in America, made it all the way to the Oscars. And if it hadn't gotten to the Oscars, I never would have seen it like in the movie theater in 2002, maybe. But it, it didn't, I mean, it made a few compromises to like the Western eye, but it was more or less just like a straight up masala film. Did you get to see it in the theater or? I did not. I, I still to this day have not seen it. I saw Dilse. In oh, the you saw, oh my God. I love Dilse. Dilse is so good. Because at the time I was living in New York, so it wasn't right when it came out, but I was living in New York and I knew the folks who ran the New York Asian Film Festival. And they, one of their first festivals, uh, they included Dilse. I think it was their only Indian film at the time. This would have been like 2001, I want to say. What did you, what did you think of it? I mean, I was kind of, I thought it was really, really pretty and moving. I found out pretty quickly that that's not <laughs> like a super, super typical Bollywood film, it's I guess not. you would say. No, it's it's not. And that's, I don't think that's the typical reaction. And we can get into kind of some of the stuff later or, um, but that, that wasn't the reaction of like sort of mainstream Bollywood going audiences either. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also own a book called, I think it's called Bollywood Boy. And it's a strange book. I tried rereading it a few weeks ago. And I was like, wow, this book is even stranger than I remembered. Because it's by a journalist. And I believe she's British in origin. But I think at this point, she's been living in Nepal for, it's either Nepal or Northern India for like decades. But at the time, she was a freelance British journalist. And the book book is about her quest to interview 
I'm going to butcher the name. I'm so sorry. Oh, Rithik Roshan. You know, I yeah. don't, I feel like I've, if I haven't read this, I, I at least knew of it at one point. Yeah, this sounds really familiar. Yeah. And he's like, this is right when he's blown up. So yeah. it's all these, but she's kind of on the fringes of Bollywood. And so she's telling the story about Bollywood as reflected through people who write gossip columns and her hairdresser and this one person who claims to know somebody who claims to know somebody. And it's sort of this skewed look at Bollywood. And I think you could say, well, it's skewed because it's a British journalist doing this, you know, reporting on India, but, but it's also just, it, it, she, she doesn't fall in love with Bollywood. I guess that would be a way of saying she doesn't disdain it and she doesn't fall in love with it. One of the things that I've found especially as I've gotten further into sort of contemporary K-pop fandom um, today is that I just see a lot of similarities to where international Bollywood fandom was in, gosh, maybe about 10 years ago Mm -hmm. when it was kind of really hitting the, you know, Slumdog Millionaire and Mm -hmm. all that kind of hype. And Disney started just like pumping money into Bombay and um, yeah, just a lot of similarities, a, a lot of differences too, but a lot of similarities. But yeah, I was just very happy to see that reference because so often I feel like when Westerners or you know outsiders look at Asian uh, pop culture, we tend to silo it and, and people only look at one country or one sort of industry in isolation. I'm like, mm, that's not really how it works, you know? I meant to mention to you, there's actually a Kazakh music video that's explicitly Bollywood themed. That does not surprise me. That does (laughs) not surprise me at all. One of my good friends um, back in the day uh, had come over to the U.S. from the Soviet Union. And um, she, she was a huge Bollywood fan because they showed the movies like in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they would she said that they would dub everything except the songs and that they were considered like women's films basically just because mm-hmm. they were so melodramatic but anyway is there a song that you would like to hear I, well i thought about it yeah I was, okay partly because no i wasn't sure exactly where you wanted to take the whole interview right but i was thinking if we were going to do a 91 song then I would probably tell you to choose Bata, because part, partly because it's very much designed to be an intro song. You'll hear it when it starts. It's got these giant fake horns and giant fake drums. It's like, <laughs> we are here. But the reason why they did that was because they split from their original managing agency um, almost a year ago. It was March of 2022. And this was the first song they put out, the first new song after the split and the chorus ends with the refrain be your own boss brother so it's very explicitly about like not only is it we are here but it's also like this is our coming out as an independent group all right well let's uh be our own boss brother and i will put that in here Get the 
discussing 91 in great detail, I hope, uh, with my guest today. Uh, this is kind of an area I, like, I vaguely remember hearing about 91 when they were having sort of uh, difficulties, I guess, maybe what, 2017, somewhere in there? 2016. 2016, yeah. 2016, yeah. I, like, I vaguely remember hearing about it, but um, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, then we'll get right into it. Cool. Well, my name is Jessica Doyle. I'm a writer. I've been writing online in various formats for a long time. I was a writer with the Singles Jukebox, which was the very best site for new music reviews. Now, we are actually on hiatus. The site went on hiatus in September, but we're still a community. And honestly, it's never say never. Like, I could easily see things coming together, the stars aligning so that the single shoot box is revised. But our archives are all still online. One of the reasons I wanted to join the jukebox, I joined back in 2013, was they were, at the time, one of the only places, maybe the only place that was doing, that was taking K-pop seriously, that was doing reviews of K-pop as if it were just another genre, not being like, whoa, what is this? Or... Uh, demeaning it, but just treating it as pop music. So I wrote about K-pop for them, mostly K-pop. I have been follow. I, I got into Korean idol pop. It's actually kind of funny that we're recording this now because we're pretty much at the 10-year anniversary. So it's been almost exactly a decade for me. And I've been writing about it online for a long time. I actually wrote a piece in 2016 arguing that street by EXID was the album of the year, which I stand by, by the way. <laughs> and then about two years ago, after I finished my PhD, which was not in any topic related to any of this, I wrote a series of essays about idol pop and how it works and why it kind of pulls people in, because I was absolutely not looking to be a middle-aged woman following idol pop at all, and yet... Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. 
actually emailed Mary Sisson after listening to the Block B episode and said, it's so nice to meet other older fans. Like, we have to come together. Oh, she was great. I love Mary. Yeah. What happened was, this is kind of a classic story. It started with Gangnam Style. So, because it was 2012, and we had two little kids. So we were playing Gangnam Style over and over and over and over. And then... I didn't know, I had kind of heard about K-pop and not really been interested in it. When I was, when I was living in New York, I got exposed, and this is in the early 2000s, I got exposed to the Korean wave because I would go to film festivals that would feature Korean films. So I knew that there was, and every so often I would be like, man, I really, I ought to get back into like Korean film or just see what's going on over there. And then Gangnam Style happened and I was like, well, this is funny. And I read something, I don't even know where, but some article that pointed out, hey, you know, that dancer on the subway, she's not just some random model, she's actually a star in her own right. And so that got me to Hyanna, and that got me to Four Minute, and then I was like, okay, now I want to know more about this K-pop. <laughs> The other thing that was going on for me personally was uh, not only was I, I had two little kids and I was on leave from my grad school program and not sure what I was going to get back, but uh, my mother was at the time dealing with breast cancer. January 2013 was when I found out that she was not going to to make it. And in fact, she passed two months later. So I think I was not consciously, but I was definitely looking for something to get absorbed into that was more fun and happy and distracting. <laughs> and I think it was literally within, I think it was within a week. Like, a, like I found out, I had to, I got to talk with her oncologist, find out, no, the news is not good. And I, I swear within that week, I was into Infinite. And so Infinite was like my hardcore talking about previous episodes, my conversion experience. So that was really, and that was kind of my, how I got into K-pop more generally was following them and then, you know, finding information about them. So learning about other groups and I got on Tumblr. Yeah, the, the positive Tumblr experience isn't something I had. Uh, I could never really get my head around the platform. It just did not work for me. I was a live journal person and there were a lot of j-pop people on live journal which is maybe why i don't know maybe there's something like to the platform that appeals but uh there definitely was a lot of k-pop on tumblr i know that see i was on live journal but my live journal was had my real name 
And most of the people on LiveJournal were my friends and my kid's name my, to this. I, I still have a dream with account, but it's locked because my kids names are in that. Whereas Tumblr, when I started Tumblr, it, I didn't have my name on it. And I only the only reason why I ended up putting my name on it was that I ended up writing for one week, one band, which was hosted by which was on Tumblr. And then I was like, eh, do I want to put my name out? Do I want to come out as a fangirl? And then it was like, why not? <laughs> I mean, we can talk about this a bit later, but one of the things I found interesting, like today, is that you have all of these allegedly professional journalists and academics uh, using their professional real name accounts to post some fairly inappropriate fandom related things. And I'm always like, wow, if that was my professor, I don't know if I would feel comfortable knowing that they're tweeting things like this but anyway um <laughs> yeah now i guess we're just all on on twitter and that's where the the k-pop conversations are happening my field when i was in grad school my field was city planning which is still relatively small c conservative not in the political sense but just in no, the way course. you present yourself yeah and from what i've heard from people who are in fields like sociology or cult or anything of the cultural studies or literature it, it is a, i think a very different like there it's a different way of interacting with your peers it's a different expectation it's a different style of presenting yourself and i think some of it i'm sort of out of my depth here but i think some of it comes from this idea of sort of challenging the way academia is traditionally packaged and accepted and what kind of research can you do. Uh, I never really got into the ACA fan side of it because my academic side and my fangirl side were like almost completely siloed from each other. The one exception was the first time I taught, so I taught for three summers. I taught intro to urban and regional planning. And the one time I taught in person, which was 2019, I said to them, okay, the last class is optional. You know, we've done everything in the syllabus. I'm going to present a lecture. You do not need to show up. <laughs> and half the class showed up, which I was flattered by. And I did this lecture on how the city of Seoul was presented in K-pop videos. You know, if you were learning about Korea and about Seoul from K-pop, what would you get? And kind of how groups use different urban imagery like when you when uh big bang this is one that came off the top of my head when big bang was in i want to say queens oh the uh bad boy bad video. boy yes yeah. that uh, is yeah. a very specific yes. urban environment that they're mm -hmm. trying to invoke and it's also a very specific foreign urban environment <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I didn't realize you studied city planning, but that makes uh, that that definitely makes sense. Um, just from some of the pieces, like I, 
yeah yeah that's interesting um that i have i have issues with the whole idea of the Akafan. i remember going to a um a talk at mit or was a little sort of mini conference this must have been in 2010 maybe you know sort of all all about like utilizing sort of the power of fandom to do things like um provide subtitles unpaid on you know platforms like crunchyroll and and uh drama fever and um and and things like that and it's kind of like (laughs) i don't know um it just i feel like a lot of the aka fans especially in like this cultural studies realm they're they're not actually challenging anything um and it just sort of feels like a like a little fish tank full of people just sort of passing the same bad talking points back and forth uh yeah i i i could go on um about that for a while so um why don't we switch over to 91 how did you get (laughs) (laughs) how did you get into 91 oh gosh okay so you mentioned the 2016 tour that i remember like vaguely when when I started looking through your piece and I was like, Oh yeah, the, the, uh, the band from Kazakhstan. Like I vaguely remember that there was some controversy over the fact that they had like, um, or more androgynous, like makeup looks and stuff. So what happened was I was still on Twitter at the time and Melissa Johnson, I don't know if you read her. What does she write? She writes, well, she has, it's actually on Tumblr, but it's basically her blog. Uh, and she writes mostly about K-pop, mostly about, excuse me, good girl groups. But she also does things like analyze, for example, she's got a whole series on doll imagery in K-pop videos. And she's also written about kind of the expectations of the survival shows. And she tracks rookie groups. She's again, she's got this more of a, of a critical eye. She's more about the girl groups. You're y'all. You're more about the boy groups. Yeah. You would have so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa's great. I, I I once said the only thing the only thing she does badly is publicize herself. But anyway, so she tweeted out a link to a Radio Liber- Liberty story about, and it was like flashy boy band Royals some in Kazakhstan on tour. And I was like, oh, this is interesting because again, I was I, I I'm kind of curious. What does a boy band sound like in Kazakhstan. And so I checked out the article and I don't know if they linked to a video or I searched the group out on my own because they had all two singles out at this point. I, I, I must have searched them out. Their debut song, I Up Tama, it's actually good. It's a little bop. It's not necessarily representative of where they went eventually, but it's good and, and they still perform it. Bunun 
And then not only did they have the two singles, but I also found out they had their own little web series called 91 Space. And it was basically, it was the adorable slice of life content. And, you know, all the Korean idol groups do this, but they generally have some kind of staging and some kind of through line. And, okay, we're going to get the guys together to play a game or something. And... 91 there's a scene in the first in the very first episode where zach's climbing the stairs and he's like they didn't tell me what to do they just gave me a camera and told me to run around and it's sort of just like "Eh, here's a fish that we're gonna eat for dinner you know it's it it was very it was like k-pop but it was just that little bit less polished and that's what made me go huh this is interesting because they are they are have been or especially at the beginning they were very very k-pop derived like that was the explicit inspiration yeah they well they're that first because i did watch the video for the debut song and it very very much uh inspired by big bang mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a whole sequence of that's which is very uh g-dragon uh e i guess you would call oh, it oh yeah um yes ac was baby g-dragon yeah. in the well, that's and, yes. i mean apparently to the point of um i saw he has like uh for the uh, like a pre-debut video of him doing a cover of uh good boy the uh I classic it. uh g-dragon and Yang song so Um, yeah, so well, so let's run through the members really quick, just so that everyone knows who we're talking about. Oh, God. Okay. Well, okay. All right. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm like, we just had this whole discussion about ACA fans, and now I'm like, wait a minute, wait a second. How much fangirl can I bring? Oh, no, bring it without all. completely destroying my credibility. Because <laughs> one thing I said, I said to friends as I was getting ready for this, I'm like, yeah. I finally get somebody who wants to talk to me about my Kazakhstani dudes and isn't just fondly tolerating me because they want me to be happy. No, I got really into it. I watched um, a bunch of the 91 space and I found out pro tip guys, if you, if there's no subtitles, but there are captions, you can automatically translate the captions from Russian to English, which is great. Oh, oh man. I could go on for like, (laughs) I will take an hour just on the whole translation questions (laughs) this group raises alone. 
Well, yeah. Okay. So, so let's, okay. Actually, let's uh, rewind like one step further back and say, okay, so Kazakhstan for people who maybe map, map challenged is <laughs> yeah. uh, a big giant country right in the middle of Asia. Um, I talked to someone I'll just call a source uh, who says they're very proud of the fact that Genghis Khan uh, comes from there. Yeah, they're like formerly nomadic people who kind of, uh, the Soviets came in, well, the Russians came in, Soviets uh, followed by the Soviets and sort of used the area kind of as a dumping ground. Think of like, I don't know, like the Dakotas or something where, in the, or like Nevada, like that's how the Russians treated um, Kazakhstan, just sort of a dumping ground for people they didn't want, dumping ground for old weapons dumping ground for for a lot of different things um so it was kind of treated as a backwater they gained independence in 1991 as far as moscow is concerned kazakhstan is still a backwater yeah yeah Yeah. so there but but kazakhstan you know we may think russia soviet union and you may have an association with europe but kazakhstan they're literally next door to china um that's they're a lot closer, I think, culturally to the, the countries in Asia, you know, they're in Asia, um, than, than sort of the European European side of, of the Soviet Union and Russia. Kazakhs, the ethnic group, yeah, um, are actually Turkic. So you have this link between what we call the stands, and then also Mongolia are all, that's all like, there are cultural and linguistic similarities running through that band of countries. But the other thing about Kazakhstan is that when you say it was a dumping ground, the other thing was it was a dumping ground for people. So like the Gulag, several, like Solzhenitsyn was in Kazakhstan when he was in the Gulag. So people were very frequently exiled to Kazakhstan. And then you would have like whole populations if the Soviet Union didn't like what your ethnic group was going, you could all get deported to Kazakhstan. So it's now actually a multi-ethnic country, not because it actually wanted to be at any point in time. Right. And when the Republic of Kazakhstan was formed in 1991, there was actually kind of this push to bring ethnic Kazakhs back from other places, including China, including Western China, because partly because there was this idea of like, well, this is Kazakhstan, this is the land of the Kazakhs, but also because there was this fear, because there was there still is to this day a fairly large Russian population in the northern areas, and there was this fear that Russia would just kind of come in and re-annex the country. And in fact, from my understanding, and I should just preface everything by saying I'm a rank amateur, so fact check everything I say, but my understanding is there's still a lot of nervousness that Russia is just going to come back in and re-annex the country. Uh, So there was actually a 
a sort of a repatriation program that went on for a long time. You know, if you hear politicians talking about uh, the Uyghurs and, and what's happening to them, uh, that's the Yeah, area. they're also Turkic people. So, they're yeah. directly next to Kazakhstan. Um, so that's, so so maybe that, that'll help kind of situate where, where the country is in your mind. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting that I didn't know until I started looking into this is that there's a... Uh, a not insignificant um, Korean diaspora also in yeah. Kazakhstan. Yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting. And not just Kazakhstan, because I believe like if, in Uzbekistan, I think it's Uzbekistan, um, there's a soccer player named Michael Ahn. He, he's no longer alive. He died in a, tra- in a plane crash that was, but he's like the, he's like, I, I believe he is their, their legendary soccer hero. Uh, and he was of Korean descent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a pretty interesting country, um, like the history. And yeah. So, yeah, if you don't know anything about Kazakhstan, it's not just uh, the country that Borat came from. Ugh. So, <laughs> Or if yeah. you're uh, a big weeb, it's not just uh, the country that Odebeck came from. So <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know, that's all I'm saying. Yep. Yes, we were born to make Um, <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So we have, um, which, should, should we start with AZ just because he is our, our G dragon fanboy? Yeah. He is our G dragon. Okay. Um, actually, if you don't mind, let me just explain real quick how yeah, the group sure. got made. Cause that'll make it even more obvious to listeners how Q pop, which is what they were calling themselves is descended from K pop. In a sense, 91 started out managed by an agency called Jeux Entertainment. Do not trust me on any Kazakh pronunciation. I tried to check it beforehand with Forvo. Forvo doesn't have enough pronunciations that I could, sadly. So the, the head of Jeux Entertainment, the founder, he's a guy named Yerbalat Badelkan. He was actually a singer in his own right. He was a member of a group called Orda, which had been long, around for a while. Very, very popular. like 2013 2014 he's getting older he's he's married he's with kids i think what happened is he looked at what was going on in korea and he looked at the likes of jyp and young hyun suk and said i want to do that i want to become a singer turned mogul so he started jazz entertainment and he actually puts together a five-piece boy band he actually held a survival show called k-top idols 
And from that, he cast two members, uh, uh, AZ and Zach, who are the two rappers. These are all stage names, by the way, because Kazakh names are long. <laughs> I'm just going to be using stage names throughout. It's just simpler. So AZ and Zach are the two rappers. I'll kind of get into the profiles after I've explained this all. And then, let's see. Alem had been around the Almaty entertainment scene for a while. He was actually on The Voice Kazakhstan at one point. So he gets recruited to be one of the singers. Bala was friends with a female Jiz trainee. Yerbalat Badalkan said, hey, are you interested in joining as a trainee yourself? And so at first it was just those four and they were known as K-Top Idols, which is a terrible name. <laughs> Fortunately, they switched to 91. And by the way, the reason why they're called 91 is um, they're supposed to be kind of supposed to be representative of this independent Kazakhstan and the fact that they were all born after 1991. So they're kind of of the first generation to grow up in an independent Kazakhstan. So it was there, therefore, and then the fifth member to join was Ace, and he's the the one tenor. And what's interesting about Ace is he actually was an SM trainee for two years, and then returned to Kazakhstan, and that and then got added to the group. So they all debut in 2015. Four of them are still with the group. AZ left in 2020. So that is your background, but and that was an amicable split as well. It yes. was. <laughs> it was at the time. Yeah, I have since heard that it, things have become less and less amicable over time. We can get to that later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so as far as pr- member profiles, okay. So Az was officially the leader until he left. He was also the co-lyricist. Like Az and Zach have co-lyrics credits basically all the way through until AZ leaves and AZ is kind of he's more I don't want to say flamboyant but he's definitely more of a risk taker as a dresser well and I will say uh so I did watch you had linked to um 91 going to Lottie World in Korea Uh yes and it was you know delightful adorable content but um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the other so four of the members are dressed kind of like you know young guys like kind of cool uh that you would expect them to be wearing at like a you know an amusement park and then az is wearing a leopard print coat so <laughs> <laughs> which you know was very entertaining for me personally watching at one point i described him as like if Jim Morrison had been a Kazakhstani sailor with a better sense of self-preservation, because he actually did work as a sailor for a while before he came to Almaty to establish himself as a underground rapper. And he's also just, he was also kind of the more, like he was the one who's like, his, his raps would be more about his internal state, about his feelings. He was more expressive. Zach is the other rapper. He's, the, he's basically, he's the lyricist now. And he, I kind of call him the group's chief theorist because he will go on and on about ideas about language and nationalism. He's the one who gave, who stood up in front of the Kazakhstani youth parliament and gave this whole speech about how um, the Kazakhstani state should support Q-pop in the way that Korea supported K-pop. He and he is he he tends to have a really quick flow and he also tends to do a lot of wordplay. And he's also a big weeb, like big <laughs> weeb, big, 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 big. 
He's also married to the group's makeup artist. That's adorable. Which I actually found pretty funny because you were talking about them being them dressing more conservatively. Zach's always been like the most conservative dresser. Yeah. Like the the one who seemed the like his idol growing up was Eminem. He actually decided not to try out K-pop. He's like, no, that's not my style. Um, so like of all of the five of them, I think he this is partly my headcanon, but I think he was the least comfortable with the whole we're going to dye our hair and wear makeup and wear earrings. And now he's married to the makeup artist and they're really cute. Well, he he does have a pretty sweet set of uh, sort of white boy dreads, sort of like as you, you got rid of ma- those. I just <laughs> gone. Thank God. <laughs> But it's a long period. The Eminem, the Eminem connection does make sense though, because that look is very kind of circa, I don't know, like two thousands sort of like like corn, like that whole like rap metal, like that that aesthetic. I can see that. So those are the two rappers, no, the three singers. Alem is actually technically the oldest. Uh, he's turned because he turns thirty next month. And he is a baritone, and he he actually grew up in his family's jazz band. So he's been performing all his life. He plays the piano. He plays the dombra. He probably plays the guitar. He's been co-composer um, since 2017. I know there's a lot. I know there's reason to be, generally, there's reason to be skeptical when idols get credits for songs. But it's one thing when, they, when idols get credit for, and it's another thing when they've getting getting soul credits on songs for years on end like i do think they really do do their own composing well and and i would also say that um it's a lot more believable that they have credit for credits for songs when you know that uh the budget for hiring ghostwriters is probably non-existent or much smaller (laughs) the the kazakhstani music popular music industry is actually really small like Kazakhstan as a whole is not big. It's only 18 million. There's more people in Seoul than there is in all of Kazakhstan. But the pop music scene is just generally very small. Even if they wanted to hire ghostwriters, they wouldn't have a lot of options. So I think they started writing songs for themselves fairly early on. So Alem is our bar- the baritone and the cinnamon roll. <laughs> Every group needs one. Every group needs a cinnamon roll. He's it. Um, I used to call him the mom of the group. Uh, especially with Bala, who's the youngest. He's he's the Makne, and they had they they definitely had this older brother younger brother affectionate thing going on for a long time. Alem is also married. His wife is she did she worked she worked as a model and then she also worked for Zhez as, as a manager because these guys apparently see no downside whatsoever to workplace dating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, These are probably the only women they saw sort of on a regular basis. I don't know. I don't know. Um, They do have friends in the industry. But yeah, I do think it's it's a pretty small. I think that also I think the number of women who could like put up with the various demands of idledom is, is especially when the rewards are not as great. Like, right. As they might be in a in a more developed music industry. I think. Yeah. So but his wife, Veronica, she's kind of she does a lot on social media. So they're doing so there's a lot of footage out there. I mean, at this point, there is quite a bit of them like performing as a cute couple, but they also are just a cute couple. So that's Alem. And then Bala. Bala is actually the Kazakh word for baby. 
people have teased him about this on interviews. Like, what are we, what are you going to do when they're, you're 40 and, and somebody's st- they're still calling you baby. And he's like, well, look at baby face in the U S he's doing great. So Bala, Bala's funny. Cause Bala's like the most interesting one. Cause like, he comes off as kind of the most callow and then you pay attention and you're like, no, actually this guy, this guy's actually got a fair number of ideas. He has been co-composing for a while. It, for a, he and Alam are the most common co-composers of the songs. And then after AZ left, he kind of stepped in and became second rapper, which is not his strength, but he's learning. And then he also, because he was rapping, he's also been started writing lyrics with Zach. So Bala actually like may have more song credits than anybody else at this point. And he definitely can kind of, kind of come off as the, the cool guy, but it's one of those cases where when he's not, how do I put this? When he's not doing the the whole on camera, when he's being more reflective, it's like, okay, actually, there there's a lot going on there. So, but unf- I, I actually have heard. I I had a source at one point who 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 had actually met a couple of the guys, and she said he was he was actually like impressively humble. But she also said she told him to quit using auto tune so much. <laughs> Compositions, and I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, auto tune is definitely a stylistic choice. I've I've heard far too much of in uh, recent years. They yeah. have this one song. Called, now, this was the EP they released right after AZ left. So I think this was the EP they had to write in a hurry. And they had one song called Nice Weather. are about it's like an environmental song it's about the beauty of the land of kazakhstan and apparently the lyrics are like very poetic and and beautiful and the problem is they've got the auto-tune turned up to 11 <laughs> so it just ruins the effect i'm like guys what are you doing <laughs> oh gosh um and then well, well i get one more oh yeah okay, 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 okay yes yes i can't leave out ace oh god uh so yes, Ace is the former SM trainee who is their tenor, which means he gets like the big soaring notes, and occasionally he has to, they have to like re-record the big soaring notes because he actually can't hit them live. But that's okay. At one point he was acting, so I feel like of the five, he actually was trying to be like follow the idle path, the most traditional idle path, where it's like you're you're, do, you're doing music, but you're also acting. 
acting and appearing on shows. Kazakhstan doesn't really have like the variety shows that Korea has. That's another thing. And I think that's that like they do have TV shows where the guys can make appearances, but not nearly. At one point, Yerbalat Badelkan actually had them film a high school set soap opera, which I have personally refused to watch ever. Like, no. Um, but he was like trying to kind of make this out, make this scene up out of whole cloth and some stuff stuck better than others. And the, the high school set soap opera does not, did not stick. Uh, so I think, now I don't know why Ace left SM. This is one of those translation issues. Like he's talked about it in a recent interview and the translation has not come through yet. You were saying earlier about fans doing, uh, sub- Doing um, unpaid labor, unpaid labor, like subtitles. Here's our problem. So under Jus, we got some subs. Uh, The the song's lyrics usually got subbed. I have a very strong suspicion that the subbing was they took the Russian. They translated the, the lyrics to Russian because almost everybody is is in the group is fluent in both Kazakh and Russian. And then ran the Russian subs through Google Translate rather than having a, an actual honest-to-God translator. Uh, but we did also get some content, like some of the space episodes were also subbed. Since they went independent, we are just now getting the subs back on the actual song lyrics. And they have, re- they have released, I think I counted up, it was more than a dozen hours of footage that was like interviews in the last two years that, that interviews where they're talking about a lot of stuff. And generally the, the questions are a little less hands off than they are in the Korean media. I'll give you an example. Here's your clickbait. So Ace does this interview and he doesn't really, he hasn't been doing interviews. So this is billed as kind of like his first major interview. He does this interview with a, with a journalist named, I don't know if it's a journalist guy who does interviews on YouTube named Timur Balimbatov. And one of the parts of the interview, he talks about going to SM and leave, and why he left. Why he left? I don't know because we don't have subs yet. <laughs> but what they do do when they post these interviews is that they'll put in the description, they'll put the timestamps. So I can take the written timestamps and I can put those into Google Translate. So I'm like looking through the timestamps and it's and it's like, okay, that's the part about SM. That's the part about other concerns apparently there was a he got busted for speeding or something like that in 2016 whatever and then we get to quote i don't believe the earth is round unquote and i just went no (laughs) okay all right so but again we don't know if that's you know is that what he said? Did, did he I mean? Don't, I, but oh this is God. again okay. like this. But you know, and this is the problem with translations too, especially when they're done by machine. And I hate to say it, but when they're done by fans as well and amateurs, is that you don't know if what is translated into English, how we receive it in English, is what was meant in right. the the native there's language. Of, there's a lot of context that gets lost. Yes. No, we have two people. No, three. I think Q-pop translations is up to three people. And that's three people. And God bless them. They work their butts off. But that's all of Q-pop. That's like, they're, they're supposed to be covering other stuff other than 91. Because we're supposed to have like an actual whole industry here. 
And I like I went on the QPOP Discord and I'm like, could you just summarize this for me? Like I don't like I was like I will pay you guys. I hate the idea of making you do all this labor. Like it was just oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, well and somehow this, going back to what we were talking about, yeah. somehow this happens more often with Ace than with anybody else. It's like he's the one that ma- makes me want to tear my hair out the most often. Like, <laughs> dude, I love you. I am so uh, yeah, I'm both glad and sorry that you did not get subject to Korean PR machines. <laughs> well, also funny. a giant weep, by the way. You can watch um I, I don't know where this is in their career trajectory, but the video of them going on Korean TV on I can see your voice. Oh is god. Up, yeah, that's up on YouTube and um yeah, he I mean he gives a little like he gets to give some answers in Korean. And, yeah, I think he and, can still speak some Korean. At yeah, this point. and um, Mama Moo is like on the show, and everyone mm-hmm. does the, the like, you know, sort of over exaggerated, like, oh, he can understand what we're saying. Like, oh no. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I'll link it. If, if the audience seeks this out, let me say that is the absolute worst their collective hair game is. Like, <laughs> good God almighty. Like, please go watch something else where Ace does not have the blonde mullet and Zach does not have the dreads. The blonde mullet was, that, that was a choice. It was certainly a choice. The dreads, I kind of, it, look, I grew up in the 90s, like, I, the white the white guy dreads. I knew people like that. He could have like um, we called them drug rugs. I don't know what other people <laughs> call them in other areas. You know what I'm talking about? Like those ponchos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He looked like he could be selling you some weed or something. It's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> mm, yeah, but it's a pretty entertaining clip. I have to say. <laughs> the funny thing is, they 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 performed I Up to Ma, and they and they said that what they wanted to do was speak Kazakh on Korean television. So they specifically wanted to perform one of their songs in Kazakh, but they cut the raps. So poor, so Az and Zach have like nothing to do while they're performing I Up to Ma. I feel like the the idol group rapper, unless it's well, I guess even if it is built around rap, sometimes there are the songs where. You just got to take a step back. But anyway, um, okay. So they they all form. It's what twenty. Well, they, they debut in twenty fifteen. They debut in twenty fifteen. So when mm-hmm. so they were trainees for a bit. 
And I don't think they were training for very long. I think okay. it was they less sort than of, a year total. Yeah. And so I guess what I find kind of interesting about this is that, um, I mean, HOT popped off big, but I feel like one of the kind of foundations of k-pop like the what we know today is this whole element of competition and the fact that there's no like like when um lou perlman started the backstreet boys like he also kind of stealthily started in sync and the fact that there were two of them and i i don't know it's like sort of the the katamari like you kind of want to roll up everything and but you need to get that like ball rolling and um i mean so it's 91 and then they don't so what yeah. you're talking about they tried and by okay. they i mean really yerbalat badal khan because yeah. okay this is what i was curious about yeah yeah because he actually was trying to develop a girl group at the time at this time and apparently i only found this out a few weeks ago because q-pop translations they posted a translation of an interview with Zarusa, who was the trainee who got Bala into 91. And then she eventually left and now she's a solo artist. But at the time she was a Jews trainee and there was some tension between which group was going to de- debut first, the boy side or the girl side. And it ended up being 91. The other thing is that there was an attempt to get more, groups out. So so Jeuze did eventually start a girl group um, which lasted I think a year and then dissolved. There are also um, Yerbalat Badelkan, I said he was in a group called Orda. His brother, Yezbalat, was also in that group and also tried to start his own group, his own boy band called Black Dial. And they debuted in the spring of 2017. And that is a whole long story with <laughs> that is a whole long story. They they basically they dissolve. They re, they have recently reformed. Like the most dramatic c- group in Q-pop is back, but that <laughs> just going into so they were supposed to be like ninety one was supposed to be the yeah. start, and then you were supposed to have like new groups popping up. Yeah, and then the coronavirus killed a lot of them. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Like there was another group called Seven Light, and I kind of referred to them as as the Kazakh Infinite, because just because there were seven of them. And they were just very dance heavy and their songs were very dramatic and there were flowers in the background. And I'm like, yep, this is reminding me a lot of Infinite. And then they, they, the current, the COVID hit and their, their manager just like ran out of money, like couldn't keep a, like he couldn't support the group for two years with no ability to promote. Yeah. Cause the other thing is the way you make money in Kazakhstan is a lot more limited. Um, the group that you you can sell merch at concerts, but you can only sell merch to the domestic audience. You can't get it out of Kazakhstan. I've been looking for years, and I have yet to have even have the opportunity to get merch in tour. But you can only tour in Kazakhstan, and so and the con- and the country's economy wasn't doing that great before COVID. And it's not like you're going to get like the big you know uh, brand endorsement deals either. 91 has gotten some. They right. have. They, okay. they got Fanta and they got Samsung. They got McDonald's right Ooh. before McDonald's had to shut down all operations in Kazakhstan. Tim coronavirus. I think because a lot of stuff that gets imported into Kazakhstan gets imported from Russia. Uh, so okay. when Russia invaded Ukraine and everybody started cutting off doing business with Russia, 
the downstream effect is that Kazakhstan now has 14% inflation because too much money chasing too few goods. And it's not the money, it's the goods. The other thing about Kazakhstan, which is I will not claim to have to have a complete grasp on, but the whole pop music ecosystem that we know it of touring and merch and concerts, that is very new. And generally, the way if you're a popular singer in Kazakhstan, the way you make your money is you sing at the toy, which is a big wedding celebration. And uh, the, see, this is something that singers do. Um, if anyone is familiar with uh, Bollywood, like this is something that Bollywood singers do as well. And actually actors, too. I mean, um, even even guys like Shah Rukh Khan, you can still find them hustling at. I mean, you got to pay a ton right. of money. But right. I mean, Shara Khan will show up to your wedding and perform for a paycheck. Um, and this is just not something that, you know, coming from a Western perspective, or even I guess a, um, if you're coming from the East Asian, like, like fandoms, you may, this may not be something you're familiar with. But yeah. But th- from what I can gather, the toy singer is not I don't, I, and I don't know the Bollywood context in Kazakhstan. The toy singer is not; it, it, it's kind of decorative. It's kind of like you know the bat mitzvah band here <laughs> in the U.S. You're not necessarily taken all that seriously as a musician in your own right. And 91 has consistently refused to do toys, to do toy shows, on the grounds that they. They want to make it. They're like, if they're if we're going to perform, it's going to be our show and we're going to be like something to see. We're not going to be in the background, which has been this very interesting tension to track when you don't have the full cultural context. But what it means is that the way that we think of pop artists making money, it's it's harder to make money that way in Kazakhstan. And almost nobody, with the exception of 91 and to some degree Zaruza, has been able to do it consistently. infrastructure is just not there the infrastructure is not there yeah so one of the things i did get interested in um you know back in my bollywood days was sort of the burgeoning uh, indian rock scene you know you have this art form that for it to succeed 
you need this, you know, you know, you need places to play. You need audiences that are used to going out to clubs and behaving in a certain way. And it's, there are all these sort of infrastructure things that, you know, we don't necessarily think about here because we take it for granted. But for an, an act to make a living doing something like playing rock music or um, being an idol group, there are all these other factors that come into play that they need to, to be able to hook into. Otherwise it's, it, yeah, like you're describing, it's very, very hard to be an idol group when the, the support structure for that art form is just not non-existent, you know, not even variety shows. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a huge part in, um, you know, China, Japan, um, Korea, you know, is for the idols to go on these shows and make it reach sort of regular TV viewers and make them feel like they know you. That's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, you need the variety show or you need something of that format where you can showcase your personality or, or a you know curated version of your personality to really get people to care about what you're doing. They did have a show that they did for a Kazakhstani network called N- NTK. Yeah. Uh, once in 2019, um, mostly they have tried to do it kind of on their own on YouTube, both when they were under shows and now that they're independent, like more recently they hooked up with InDriver, which is essentially, I, I think a Kazakhstani equivalent of Uber. I don't think it's affiliated with Uber. Uh, so what the guys did was they did a thing where they went to, I want to say it was Karagon. No, I think it was Kostanai. And they, so they went to a city and then they drove one of the cars and they basically did carpool karaoke with fans. And it was, so it was like combination, cute web content sponsorship. So they're kind, of, they're, they're kind of trying to do it. <laughs> the gorilla style. Gorilla <laughs> style is, but it is... <laughs> It's a little too slick to be gorilla style, but yes. <laughs> well, I've said it a few times, but the the adorable and yeah, you know, because you brought up one direction in your um, piece, I think you did. You yeah, mm-hmm. you did yeah, and um, I mean, it does go back further than One Direction, but I feel like One Direction is something that most people listening will have kind of a, a handle on, and that idea of like you know, these goofy guys just like being guys together and just like hanging out and it's all so natural and they're all best friends. Um, and then packaging that and selling that (laughs) is just, yeah. Like the, the idea that, that they're doing it even in Kazakhstan (laughs) is like, (laughs) to me, I don't know. There's just something very, like, I guess like is adorable just like the universal, constant like all women everywhere all over the world just want to see guys just like goofing off and like being like hanging out and like having fun together (laughs) i don't i don't know um i missed the whole one direction phenomenon completely but part of the reason i got into infinite so much was they had just when i got a few months before I got into them, they had filmed a variety show called Ranking King. So they have, and, and it was very contrived. It was obviously contrived. 
So like the third ep- third and fourth episodes of Ranking King is basically like this. Infinite are put in these mock SWAT outfits. They're taken to a children's museum in Seoul after hours at night. They're given little targets to put on their bodies and water pistols with dye in them. Actually, no, they have to go into the go around the museum and find the water pistols and the dye. And then they have to tag each other. And that's the episode. And it was so utterly ridiculous. And the guys were having fun with it. Like, you know, it, it you know, it's it's they're filming and it's late and they were probably exhausted. But it was also just like a cool setup. And, and, and Hoya is running around saying, I'm going to take out everybody. And Myung Soo decides to go off and read Manhua. <laughs> and it was, I, I just, I died watching that episode. And in fact, I haven't been able to rewatch it because I'm like, it probably it can't possibly be as funny as I remember it being. <laughs> but that was what I wanted to see at the time. It was yeah. just very... And you could totally buy into the idea that, yeah, they were these were these seven coworkers, but also like they were enjoying each other's company and that you could enjoy them enjoying each other's company. Yeah. As far as 91 is concerned. Yeah. I they gave an interview recently and it was a print interview with Tengri News. So I was able to run it through <laughs> Google Translate and where they talked a lot about being the four of them talked a lot about being bros, like a lot, like so much that I was starting to be like, guys, what are you selling here? Um, well, they're selling their friendship. I mean, and they, that's, they, yes. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And that's the thing like the so, I mean, you know, we both have the, the touch point of the monkeys and yeah. that's kind of the well, I guess the Beatles really were sort of the er, you know, with a hard day's night, like the the herb adorkable artifact, because that's what um you know, inspired, directly inspired the monkeys and the monkeys getting exported directly inspired um, the tigers who were Japan's first idol group. So this sort of adorable, like friendship thing, it's, I mean, there's something really powerful about it. And I mean, that's a lot of, um, I don't know, I I feel like you dig a lot into any kind of um, boy band or uh, idol group fandom. I mean, we just like we just love those friendships. We just we love them. <laughs> I don't remember it as much for New Kids on the Block at the time because mm-hmm. I was I was in sixth grade. Like I remember my friends definitely were all about New Kids on the Block. I was I was less intense into New Kids on the Block, but I remember watching them on Nickelodeon. So, and I feel like there was a little less emphasis on their goofing around with each other. But if you watch their current stuff, what they've done kind of as adults, um, appealing to an, an audience that is now openly middle-aged. Right. I feel like now they're doing more adorable content than they were <laughs> in their prime. I think that's probably true. And full disclosure, I did see New Kids on the Block in their um, – tour like this past year like in 2022 and how was it it was oh it was fantastic i have to say they put on a really good show and they they were with um invoke and um rick astley and salt and peppa and what was nice was that the the four groups like that are three groups and rick astley that kind of alternated so all of these lovely middle-aged people were not having to put on like a, you know, 
one hour set all by themselves like it was right you know you do your tight you know 12 minutes get off take a break <laughs> change mm-hmm. outfits come back yes that sounds much more human- humane yeah uh, right <laughs> but yeah no there was a there was a lot of adorable a lot of adorable going on and uh, i'm not gonna lie i loved it it was great anyone out there should go see new kids if they come through that's my plug Yesterday, we had that secret place where we would hide. Count the stars in the sky, and the promises we made were for life. And I know these go by, but it's something. But yeah, yeah, I, I think, yeah, maybe the the days of like, um, yeah, like Tiger Beat and oh, you mentioned it was a big bopper. I, like I, I remember buying like those magazines. Oh, yes. And it was like very curated, you know, what's your favorite color? Like that kind of content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And a lot less of the like the puppy piles that you would see with um you know one direction um and that just the the thinnest glaze over like the uh we're not encouraging ot5 slash but actually we are encouraging ot5 slash that was one of the things that kind of intrigued and confused me the most when i got into k-pop and specifically infinite because i'm like they can't possibly be encouraged like oh they are oh they are we had this my friends and i had this joke that there was someone at woolam entertainment whose job it was to monitor things and say okay you guys need to cling to each other now you need to get that ship going look that person exists i've never met that person but i'm positive that person exists there's a lot of this stuff is just too coordinated like um i mean bts fans have noticed that they like the cuts of the videos will be different for um, the Japanese market mm-hmm. who prefers um, Jungkook slash uh, Taehyung than for other markets that prefer Jungkook slash Jimin. I mean, that's, ah. you know what I'm saying? Like they're very well aware of what they're selling you. You were asking about, you were saying like, is this stuff universal? Yeah, um, I think it is. <laughs> so one one thing is, the the translation barriers have kind of enhanced my fandom experience in some way in which I don't have to look at the slash. Like I don't at yeah. all. I just refuse. I just yeah. I it may exist on AO3, but I don't see it. But if it exists in Kazakh, I don't I don't have to see it. And I know it does because the guys got asked about it in their interview at one point. They're like, how do you feel about this? And and um they were like, um, 
we uh, we're okay with it as long as we don't have to see it which i was like that is the best possible answer they could have given <laughs> which, that's a better answer than i was expecting which honestly oh. that's i feel like that's the only answer that's appropriate i mean i, I think that a lot of the emo um, of like the, the emo groups of the bandom days got in trouble for like directly interacting with all that stuff. I mean, it's just, you don't let the stream, you don't want to cross the streams. I feel like with some of this stuff, like just don't cross the streams. No, I'm surprised that they weren't more condemnatory just because they're still dealing with, like you asked me about the Oh yeah. Let's tour. go back. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to that. They're still dealing with, they, they had concerts messed with, this past year, 2022. So they did a tour because they hadn't been able to tour for two years. Yeah. And they had several different cases where they had to move the venue. Uh, I think they had one case where they got to the venue and it was like July and there was no air. The air conditioning had been turned off. They had one event. This was in South Central Kazakhstan. They had one event canceled outright uh, because the the uh, local Akimet, which is city council said they were a bad influence like that it didn't it settled down after 2016 but it's sort of come back up again we're not entirely sure why because so let's let's explicitly just say like so a lot of the complaints were that so they're a bad influence and a lot of this stems from the fact that they following in the k-pop model present in a more androgynous or feminine yeah style at Specifically, times. dye their hair and wear earrings. Those are the ones that come up. Okay, dye their okay. hair and wear earrings, wear makeup. Those are the right. top three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I feel like this is something that it it feels like it's universal, but I think the cultural context is also pretty important when it comes to stuff like this. So I it would just I don't know for people listening, just really maybe keep an open mind about what some of these conflicts are and don't automatically jump to conclusions about what you think it might be. Yeah. I, again, I would say fact check me because this is something I've researched, but I wouldn't say I really yeah understand. You know, it's the assumption that if you dye your hair and wear earrings, yeah, you're gay. Yeah. Is the yes. assumption that the cult, yeah, like that's, that's, that is what we're dealing with here. Is that, yeah, it's all, this is so the culture like, where not only is it homophobia, but it's also this very, yeah very limited definition right. of masculine of mas- presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah. the gender roles, for whatever reason, culturally, are just, they're very, still very rigid. And yeah, and sort of the glam rock era just never, or even the Eurovision era never hit Kazakhstan. And, you know, in other places, I mean, I think idols still face this stuff in Korea and China. I mean, China just cracked down on, you know, feminine looking men as like a bad influence. And again, it's this assumption that if you dye your hair and wear earrings, you're automatically gay. doesn't matter if you're married to a woman. Right. As some of the band are. Yeah. Like 91 occasionally has to like interrupt or their own podcast or go on telegram and just be like, we're straight. And we're like, yeah, and I'm like, we know, but apparently we don't know because y'all need me to say it again. What? Right. It's, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You're still yeah. dealing with this after seven years, you know? I know. It's, yeah. And I feel like, yeah, it, I feel like idols still still do deal with this. And so my Russian friend I mentioned, um, she found um, K-pop more accessible to her anyway. Was that there was just this, 
she just didn't she thought that the johnny's idols specifically were just too girly looking and um you know they they do dress um you know stage costumes and all that a lot more glitzy and glammy and feathers and whatever but yeah it's just kind of differs wherever you go but there's just something about these men dressed in a little bit more feminine way that I think really appeals to to women and there's there's nothing gay about that <laughs> but I guess like is, that memo hasn't made it <laughs> sorry so, but I guess that memo you know never made it to Almaty or you know Beijing the interesting thing is 91 both their stylists are women yeah the the hair and makeup artist I did, like I told you Zadra Zach's yeah. white a woman their choreographer is is a woman yeah and I, I, there was a, there's actually been article. There was actually a pretty good article from uh, BBC Asia about them and gender presentations. And the one thing that didn't get into was it didn't get to interview the women kind of behind the scenes. And I've yet to see them really comment on this whole pushback. Yeah, it's so it's I just remember. So in gosh, it was 2000 five I want to say that Shara Khan um sort of faced the same thing in India because he did a um commercial for I think it was for Lux maybe but um in the commercial he was like floating in this um tub full of rose petals <laughs> and <laughs> yeah you got you know pushed back it's like oh this isn't masculine like um you know all this stuff but you know meanwhile Shara Khan like you know how heartthrob to how many women like around the world and yeah, it's just this, it's just this, I guess, very conservative idea that if you, like, any any guy doing anything sort of remotely feminine automatically equals, like, he's evil. It's, yeah, and, I mean, there's nothing, you just have to get your mind around that this is, this is just the thought process in some places. So there is, and again, I'm kind of out of my depth here, but there is, there does seem to be an element to it, specifically in Kazakhstan, of this this connection between masculine image and national pride. There's this idea of the 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 batter, which is the the male warrior, and you can see in like historical epics, the 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 hero will always be like in furs and bearded and on the horse and like nothing nothing even remotely feminine about him and the women are you know they're the ones with the the jewelry and they're more they're more ornamental in a sense yeah yeah uh and there was a there was a you were talking about translation i ended up translating an interview that the guys did back in june because it was almost two hours long but it came with kazakh and russian subtitles so i was able to stick the subtitles into google translate and yandex translate and i was able to get something out and they're discussing this whole issue and at one point um zach said something like you don't change your nationality when you dye your hair and wear earrings that's stupid as if they were not only less masculine but somehow less kazakhstani oh that's interesting yeah I've, that's I've, interesting and i'm not quite sure where this came from or how old it is i think to some degree it was promoted by the nazarbayev government just from what i've heard about like for example nazarbayev trying to revive old sports like kokpar which is like polo with a goat's head okay 
Um, and also, <laughs> yeah. And then also, and, and again, now I'm way out of my depth because I'm not quite sure how these connections get made, but there's a lot of interest in wrestling, martial arts, MMA. That's all big in Kazakhstan. There, if you see where Kazakhstan gets its, um, like its Olympic medals, it's more in, it's not in, in sports like track, it's sports like wrestling and weightlifting. So there is this, this sort of promotion of this idea of brute force and strength and being able to win a fight with national glory. I don't want to, I don't want to make too much of that. Right. Because right. I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's like anything that's like super top down, how much it actually gets carried, it, it actually gets carried up on. It's right. like, and you may be left with just this cultural distaste for men who appear more ornamental or who yeah. um, appear to be um, appealing more to the female eye because that's not what's valued. What's valued is to be strong and impress, you know, the other men with your strength versus appealing to women and being a bit more decorative um, to get their attention, get their approval. And that's not culturally valued. In that same interview, they talked about a video they'd done a couple years before for a song called Men and Mess. And I actually talk about it a lot in the 91 series because the video is is really interesting. But what they, what they said they were trying to do with the video is they were trying to show off the seven treasures. This is apparently some kind of saying about the seven treasures in Kazakhstan. And so they had... They had a statue. They had a statue of the ancient Turkic leader called Tigin, and they had the eagle, which is used for hunting, and they had uh, the a dog that's native to Kazakhstan, and they had they didn't have the horse. What they had was a Ford Mustang during doing circles <laughs> in the parking lot. Then they said explicitly that was to stand in for the horse. And then I'm watching them, and I'm like, well, wait a second. The, the AZ scene in the end of the video, he's just surrounded by women. So what's the what's the treasure there? And then I'm like, uh, and then I did some reading. I was like, oh, women are the treasure. <laughs> I see. Without I watched it without that context, and I assumed he was the treasure. <laughs> nope. 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 No. No. <laughs> where they're trying to give um they're they're working with a very specific national context which can sometimes make talking about them a little frustrating because it's like they did this cool thing but i'm going to need to give you 10 minutes worth of background on why it's cool you know like that video um but it also means that they're 
you know, they're not necessarily trying to critique Kazakhstani culture because it's like one of the contexts they're working in is that, okay, one of the contexts they're working in that I haven't gotten to yet. I know we're like an hour and a half into this thing. And I'm like, no, no wait, that's all the story to get to. <laughs> well, um, no, look, this is my podcast. We can go as long as we want. It's, awesome. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. So <laughs> the fact that they record in Kazakh is kind of noteworthy in and of itself because Kazakh is, I think now it's just barely, if that, the most spoken language in Kazakhstan. During the Soviet Union era, during the the Kazakh Soviet Socialist Republic era, the language that people used to communicate, the language that was the official language, the language that you used to get ahead, the language of literature, the language of culture was Russian. It wasn't Kazakh. And there's actually, I read an article, this is several years old now, but there was a reporter who was in, this was for, the reporter's name is Valentina Michelotti. I'm not going to remember the the magazine. But she went to Kazakhstan and she was reporting on an independent artist named Moldan Nazar. He's actually fairly famous within Kazakhstan. He's done movie soundtracks. He's a pretty big name. And there was this, this, and he also records in Kazakh. And there was this discussion of could he make Kazakh language music cool again? Because even though when the Republic of Kazakhstan was formed, the new government started promoting Kazakh as unofficial language. It, it, it's the language of government now, but Russian is still an accepted language because they didn't necessarily want to give Russia an excuse to say, hey, Kazakhstan is oppressing the ethnic Russians. We have to go in and do something about it. So Valentina Michelotti was talking to people about Moldanazar's music and what they listened to. And somebody said, well, yeah, the Kazakh, something like the Kazakh music on the radio is all Mambeti. And Mambeti in that case meant like redneck backwards you know not sophisticated so that was the perception of Kaz- of kazakh music in the kazakh language in almaty when 91 started putting out its songs in kazakh it was like this deliberate choice like no we're going to sing in this language and like i said all all of them now the whole band now is is fluent in both russian and kazakh az was not could not speak russian when he got to almaty so he had to he had to learn Russian on the fly because so many even though um even though Almaty's in Kazakhstan, so many people speak Russian there that at the time, this is less true now, but at the time you really kind of needed both languages to get around. So they've been so they've been as part of their mission, they've been like promoting the Kazakh language, but promoting Kazakhness in a way so the whole idea of like we're gonna make this pop song and we're gonna look all cool in our suits but we're also gonna have symbols of kazakhness and those are going to be cool by association and that's not necessarily something that their audience would be used to because you know 150 years of colonialism was the putting the elevating the russian whatever was russian whatever was coming out of moscow ahead of whatever was homegrown to a lesser or a greater degree. So it's been, you know, as someone from the outside looking in, it's been kind of fascinating watching them kind of want to use this idle pop mechanism to achieve this goal that is kind of conservative in a way, but also kind of a challenge because it's kind of a sort of anti-colonialist pushing back, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And 
this is something that also fascinated me when I was reading about it um, in your series because it just it it you could really see in their choices of you know adopting kind of this more modern like or globally minded maybe or uh just this this mechanism and this look of sort of the the Hallyu Korean idol wave and using it for their own purposes um and there is something interesting in that and there is something interesting in this push to update and bring into the 21st century like the Kazakh identity and um and not keeping it as something calcified on the steps but saying look you can be in Almaty driving a Mustang and wearing you know earrings and having tattoos and um you know some some white boy dreads and you're still you know the Kazakh the the son of Genghis Khan you know like that's still who you are it doesn't matter if you dye your hair blue um you know it's it's there is something very appealing about that you know even as an outsider and it's something that I've you know you can see it in like the um sort of artists that that push forward languages like Welsh or Icelandic you know these languages that aren't spoken by large numbers of people but that are meaningful and um the cultural specificness of it I feel like really adds a lot it really really adds a lot and um especially when the the Korean industry which to a large extent has shaved off almost everything that made it unique from a artistic and and sonic point of view to sort of make this sort of mushy global pop music some of it is is good um but a lot of it is just kind of interchangeable with anything you'd hear on like american top 40 and to see a group that really is going out of their way to make something very very specific culturally that's meant to appeal to like a specific audience um i find that irresistible so I don't know what they're going to do next. That's kind of a big question. They were supposed to put up an album last year and it's been delayed. I think they're saying March. And the reason why I bring this up specifically in relation to what you said is that the we know the lead single is called Gap. And actually they were talking about this song in 2020. They gave an interview about it. To the Jungan Daily, actually. So I said Zach really likes his wordplay. He also really, really likes multilingual puns. <laughs> they have a song called Senorita. I swear it is it, it, the chorus is basically just Kazakh Spanish punning. They're not actually <laughs> saying Senorita. They're actually still speaking Kazakh. But it comes out as Hola Senorita. And it's like, what?
song, that was actually the song, their lead single after AZ left. So that was a song they frantically put together. They were like, let's do a party jam. That's also sexy. That's also Kazakh Spanish punning. <laughs> Only them. But Gap is Kazakh English punning. So I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> um, they generally have not used a lot of English in their songs, except their most recent song. They had more English in it. Was that the and they uh, also emoji? Had emo- oh, God. Emoji. Emoji. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh boy, where it's like, where Zach and Paul is like, we know how to swear in English, and I'm yeah. like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a good song. <laughs> I'm glad you. Li- I, I listened to it. And I was like, oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> I tried it. Oh good. Much, much, kick, kick, sick, fuck, get out, baby. because I, I pride myself on having been a critic, but I, when I don't like one of their songs, I say so. And and there there definitely are songs of theirs I would put forward ahead of others, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, but I anyway, but I, they have been talking about going abroad. And again, in, they, gave, they gave a whole podcast where they talk, where part of what they talk about is going abroad. It hasn't been translated yet. What did they say? I don't know. But they have been talking about going to the States on and off for a while. And this may be, after they drop this album, this may be when they make that shift. Maybe not. I don't know. Okay, well, if they do, I will be in the audience. So. Oh, oh, I will be the bells on. I don't, I don't know how they would do it. Because they would have to do... I mean, I can think of like a few things. There are like, you know, the the festivals that are like the Asian culture festival or something that will bring in um, bands or groups. So, I mean, that's one thing they could do. There's also, um, you know, if they can get the embassy or the cultural centers to shell out for like a showcase. I mean, that's something else groups have done. Um, I mean, there's definitely ways to do it, but it would involve somebody paying something. So they did a, a single with a collaboration with another group called Irina Kairatovna. Uh, it's actually one of their best singles called Taboo. And Irina Kairatovna, they're, they're an interesting story in and of themselves. They started as a comedy collective. Um, they actually competed in the same Russian language, multi-country comedy competition that... Uh, Volodymyr Zelensky was in once upon a time, uh, not at the same time, but 
yeah, this is the the this Russian comedy competition. I forget what it's called. It's actually it's like the footlights of Russian language comedy or the second city of Russian language comedy. So Irina Kairatovna was in that. They they blew up somehow. Like one of their songs has like 52 million views on YouTube. And it's really, really, and it's really, really political, actually. It like, and they're so they're Russian language, though. So that would they're Russian. They're yeah. they're Kazakh. No, actually, they're both because okay. one of the one of the members raps in Russian and the other two rap in Kazakh. That's okay. in the same song. Yeah. So, but and so yeah. So IK actually has a fairly large Russian following. I don't know how this happened, um, but they came to the U.S. last fall. Uh, and they played New York, Miami, Chicago, and LA. And if they'd gotten anywhere near Atlanta, I would have been there. And I was like, I found out two weeks beforehand. I'm like, I, guys, I can't travel to Miami for you. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I regretted it, but I could no. Yeah. But they went with, but but IK because IK has a Russian fan base, they can play to Russian audiences in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And 91, as best I know, doesn't hasn't really crossed over into the Russian market yet. So like I saw. The Pakistani band Jal, uh, playing at like a Pakistani cultural event. Um, I mean, they're oh, great, that's cool. Yeah, but they're they're like a great band. But like they would they could again like they were playing to a Pakistani audience, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and I'm sure if there were enough, and and this is what the K-pop groups used to do, you know, when HOT came to the U.S. in like ninety six. Was it ninety seven? But they played to you know the where the Korean diaspora hotspots are, and until I mean I feel like groups still did that until you know the sort of balance turned and the audiences became mostly not Korean. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean there's there are ways, but yeah, it's tricky as a foreign group to come here. Well, I think that's why they've been, like I said, especially Zach and, and Yerbalat Bedelkan also have been arguing like we need some kind of state support. Yeah. This isn't going to happen without some kind of state backing. That was what happened. You know, in Korea, there was some state investment in the yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. Um, I have mixed feelings about this personally because I, I would be of the position that you don't want to owe the Kazakhstan state anything, but um, I can see where they're coming from. Yeah, I mean, there's there's trade offs. There's definitely trade offs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's it, I guess that's the other thing, like being in Kazakhstan, like you know, unless you do go to some place like Seoul and utilize the K-pop distribution um, stream that's been set up. And perform at KCON and and do all that stuff, you really are left with having to fund your own distribution. They were supposed to go to co- to Korea in the spring of 2020. In February, in okay. February 2020, I remember your yeah. your Balat Badelkan saying we're going to go back there. We're going to but we're going to stay several because they had already been to Korea twice. Yeah. Um. Once when they were on, I can see your voice, and then once before. And he said, we're going to go back and we're going to stay several months and we're going to record with producers there. And oh, that did not happen. Interesting. That's like an alternate timeline because then that they is could. Cool. Yeah, that is yeah because timeline. I mean, that's, yeah, that that's, I mean, uh, we've talked about this in other episodes of the podcast, but like, you know, Seoul has become kind of this hub in cultural hub in Asia mm-hmm. that, yeah, if you want to um, get your art distributed globally, or at least sort of outside of the region, 
uh, or your immediate region. I mean, like you really, you have to go to Seoul and then, yeah, get into that whole, like the, the KCON and getting on the music shows and, um, yeah, that's, wow. That, yeah, that would, that definitely would be an alternate reality. And then they, in December, November, December, they started talking about going to the U S and they had a, they had a guy who they were working with. He was not from the music industry. He seemed to have, but he, he was some kind of nebulous consultant. Um, okay. A fixer of some sort. Uh, I, we were all very like, I don't think this is going to work guys. Apparently his, apparently he had a cousin who was a dancer slash choreographer and, and somehow going to result in, but that there was no there, there was no evidence that they were actually talking to any American record labels. Right. Um, and then after they left, after 91 left Jazz Entertainment, the guy has not been mentioned since. To my knowledge, again, a lot has not been translated. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what their plans are. They spent 2022 kind of consolidating their home market they toured a lot they played a lot of live shows uh at one point i was like you guys are the only band anywhere making money off of live shows right now just go for it um <laughs> the hardest working band in kazakhstan <laughs> yeah yeah no they did they did a ton they, they did a tour and then they did a bunch of other shows and then they did two big concerts in astana and Almaty. um so I don't know. So going back to your whole point about them being culturally specific, I yeah. really don't know how they're going to take that to a global audience. Because again, I'll, I'll give you one example. I'll try to make this anecdote as quick as possible, but it's, it's not going to be quick. Um, and going back to Bata. <laughs> So there's a scene in the music video where they're driving a an old-fashioned looking car. And there's no real attention paid to it. It's just an old-fashioned looking car. When they, they gave the behind-the-scenes footage, they said, hey, by the way, that car was the personal car of DM Kanaev. Now, you probably don't know who Kanaev is. I didn't know until I started re researching this. Kanaev was premier of the Kazakh Soviet Socialist Republic in the 70s and 80s. And in 89, uh, Gorbachev fired him and was going to replace him with a Russian apparatchik. And the Kazakhstanis got so upset about this that there were actually protests which were violently suppressed and it's actually known as the Zeltoksan massacre, Zeltoksan being Kazakh for December. So, and Kana so Kanaev is remembered as like this example of Kazakh sovereignty and self-sufficiency in the face of Russian dominance in a way. And furthermore, <laughs> gets better, he is generally perceived as not having been super corrupt there's like this thing about how he didn't, he lived very simply, which is Nazarbayev, who was um, head of the Republic of Kazakhstan from its inception until 2018, most definitely did not. And his kids 
have amassed billions in money that they really shouldn't have. Uh, I um, would suggest people look up uh, some of the real estate. Oh, um, yeah. 221B <laughs> Baker Street. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's pretty wild. Uh, underground swimming pools or, yeah, yeah. and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So talking about Kunayev and also Nazarbayev was like in the the power hierarchy at the time of Zeltokhsan. And there have been questions about what did he know and what did he not, you know, why didn't he do more to stop the shootings, which, of course, never got really explicitly brought up while he was in power. So talking about Kunayev is kind of a way to sort of quietly criticize Nazarbayev, which, of course, that wasn't, you couldn't openly criticize Nazarbayev, but sort of a way of talking about criticizing Nazarbayev without being seen to by invoking this for, this prior historical figure. So when 91 is like, hey, guys, we got Kanaev's personal car for this video, all of that is what they're tapping into. But like I said, it takes 10 minutes of explanation to be like, yeah, they're doing these various things, but how do you translate that? And I think when, when you were talking about kind of K-pop getting kind of watered down, and a lot of that context... Totally sanded off. Yeah. Like, I remember when BTS did the song about Satori. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Satori rap, which is a, it's a yeah. cute song. It's really cute. But it, it doesn't translate. And, it doesn't translate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is something that I found that... Um, so, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Johnny's Entertainment, Johnny's and Associates. Um, but there's a lot of very culturally specific things um you know uh just the whole fact that they have the kansai kansai uh wing of the company where it's all sort of based in osaka and you have to know that you know osaka is known for comedy and you know specifically manzai comedy and there there's all these very culturally specific things but you can also enjoy a lot of it on just a pure entertainment value. You don't have to know anything. And I think there there is a sweet spot that exists sort of where there is that context for the, the people, you know, who are in the culture, but you can also enjoy it from a, like an outsider perspective. It's just pure entertainment. And um, I mean, I think definitely from, you know, what, what I've watched of 91, I think um, they, they're definitely in that ballpark anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like a song like um, Aya, total bop, total bop. <laughs> you don't need to know anything. And it's just like a fun song. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But um, yeah, and, and I feel like groups that do manage to kind of keep something of themselves, but also have the like enough there that there's something of substance of culturally mm -hmm. specific substance you know that gives you more to dig into and there's always going to be the fan translator who's going to be up there you know with the you know keikaku means plan subtitles mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know i don't know if you remember like y you used to get like these um fan subtitles and there used to be like the translator's notes that could take oh, yeah. up like half the screen <laughs> oh yes <laughs> like telling you what something was and you know you can watch it you can watch something like that and learn you know learn about a different culture in a different part of the world where people are different 
then, you know, their daily life is different than your daily life. Uh, but you can also just turn off that translator's note, <laughs> you know, and just enjoy it as like a song. And, um, and I feel like K-pop today has leaned way too far, like in the, the wrong direction. And it's just all entertainment. There's not much, there's not much there. And, and I think, you know, the fact that K-pop is not really consumed domestically, you know, just speaks to that. But yeah, I think 91 could do it. I believe in them. See, for me, the fact that I get to, like, learn stuff is one of the great appeals. I think part of the reason I got as into 91 as I did was partly because their the, their run of singles in 2017, the, that was a really good run that they had. Yeah. And it was happening right as Infinite hit their seven-year contract. So they kind of went on hiatus. And then lost a member and then had one album and then went into the military service. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was like the curse of like 2017, 2018, where basically an entire swathe of boy bands in Korea just like either disbanded, went on hiatus, um, or went into the military. Like a huge chunk of the market just like vanished and you were left with I mean basically like what winner icon and like BTS the other thing that happened specifically with infinite is that they when I first started following them in 2013 they were a lot looser you know mm. they just they were they were doing very well financially and they were giving interviews like they had one interview where the interviewer would ask questions and then the guys would answer and be named and then they would be like and here's anonymous member complaining about, you know, Willem barely let us go to the bathroom during training. And they were able to do things like that. And then, or they would like joke around with each other on Twitter. And then Elle had a dating scandal. And when I say he had a dating scandal, I mean, the dating was the scandal. There was, my, it was my, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, horrible. Yeah. It, 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 it was kind of like if people remember the whole Taeyeon Baekhyun Oreo gate, it was like that. Not as bad, but close. And so they had like, they had like three scandals in a row. They had like, they had that, they had 
Sungyu being caught, he was like filming a variety show and they caught him saying something derogatory about one of his female coworkers. And he had the, one of the other the female stars of the show and he had to apologize for that. And then Lovelies debuted because I was a Woolham group. And they had this huge scandal where one of their members was accused of being a bullying rapist. And that turned out to be completely made up, just like completely made up. But it <laughs> it affected the group. And then and of course, this was all Woolham, which had just been through Woolham had been through the Tajinyo scandal. Like Epic High was under Willem when that happened. And Infinite was kind of like Willem's last hope in 2011, 2012. So after, I think, not surprisingly, after that run, the guys got a lot more cautious about what they put out. And then I remember a, a friend of mine who's an inspirit came to visit me and we were watching a V-Live together. And it was like half an hour long. And afterwards, we looked at each other and we were like, wow, they talked for half an hour and they didn't say anything. They had just, it had just had gotten all so surface level that it stopped being interesting. Yeah. yeah. And 91 for all their flaws, they, and, and for all the frustration I have with like, you guys keep saying stuff and I don't know what you're saying. Can you please just hire a grad student to translate, please, for the love of God. Uh, I swear, if if they release another podcast episode, I'm going into their Telegram channel and being like, guys, please, 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 <laughs> on behalf of all International Eagles, hire a translator. We can't do this alone. But anyway, but but they, they're not yet at that point where – they're they're they don't act like they have to avoid like they they don't get like really deep they're still idols but they they don't avoid um all the it's not all surface level um they have been willing to talk about stuff that bothers them they i i know that they put out a podcast where they they do they talk about leaving shows entertainment and they talk about struggling with the tour this year and they talk about az leaving to some degree, I'm not sure how much. So I, I, I'm a little worried that the more, if they really are trying to go global, they're kind of, they're going to kind of lose some of that. And I'm really hoping that they're, they continue to make, you know, representing Kazakhstan part of their mission. I think they will. Uh, one interesting thing that's happened, and this is independent of 91, in the last six months or so, is apparently. There's been a real upswing of in Kazakhstan of people speaking Kazakh, like people being more interested in learning Kazakh because of the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Suddenly, Russian didn't look like the cool, sophisticated language anymore. (laughs) And suddenly there's like this renewed interest of, well, let's let's speak Kazakh because that's right. You know, it's 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 got (laughs) it's got less package now. Yeah. Yeah. That's so so the thing about you know, not being as open and not being as, um, candid, I guess, with sort of the increase in, um, popularity or even just financial responsibility. I think you've, you know, you see that if you stick around in like the, the idol world kind of long enough, um, I know it happened with, um, so there's a, a Johnny's group called Arashi who were, around for 20 years but um, yes i have heard of Irish. okay yeah so so they kind of went through this big bump in popularity around their 10th anniversary and 
I know a lot of old time fans really kind of resented it because they went from being a group that was on like late night TV doing goofy gags um, and saying whatever to a group that really had like all of a sudden they were national idols and with that came a whole host of responsibilities. Right. And and I, I know people were who had been fans kind of lost interest at that point. Um, and I think you, you do see it happen and it's, I mean, I guess it's just kind of the cost of doing business, but I I will say though, that my, my group, ABCZ has stayed very small (laughs) and, uh, very sort of outspoken and, uh, with the more freedom. I mean, I guess it's the flying under the radar thing, you know, it's, um, if people aren't paying attention, or if you, you have, in ABCZ's case, a pretty stable fan base who have been around forever and like you and all your flaws and aren't really going anywhere, um, you can, you know, you can do stuff. Like uh, one of the members, Tatsu, had a series of columns in Da Vinci Magazine, which is a, a literary magazine, and he would write these personal essays and then tie it to a book. And I, I translated a bunch of them, but... I mean, he, he would get into stuff like, um, time he shaved his head cause he thought he was going to quit Johnny's and quit the group. And, you know, just it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's that parasocial relationship, but, uh, I, it's, it is meaningful. I think, you know, it is a meaningful connection. I mean, I don't, I know enough to know that I don't know Tatsu just because I read an essay, but it's, you still I don't know, it's still meaningful. One, I, I do think one of the another advantage of like knowing there's so much that isn't translated is like it to some degree it protects me from falling into the trap of feeling like I really know them because it's like you know there I know how much I don't know and, and it's a good thing to remember yeah no that's that's important too just as as I've been sort of poking around sort of contemporary k-pop fans and k-pop fandom I, I do wonder how much just because so much is translated into english that people who maybe just be watching clips or um reading interview selections that have been cut and paste into tweets or um even just song lyrics translated into english that they they think they know these idols but 
in reality, they wouldn't even be able to talk to them if they met. You know what I'm saying? There's like a real disconnect there. And I've noticed this, um, you know, you get, it, it gets to the point where you get fans who are just so, they've built up these idealized versions of these k-pop idols in their heads because you know they are interacting primarily in their you know in english in their native tongue and whether it's through fan fiction or um yeah just like these translations but yeah like there there's still that cultural disconnect there but it's been like it's invisible now if, I don't know, like you're, you're seeing it through a, a piece of plate, like a piece of glass, like it's, it, it, you're not seeing the real thing, but it feels like you are because all of that, all of those speed bumps, those road bumps, that cultural context, it's all been hidden from you. And so you think that you know these people, but I mean, in reality, yeah, like you wouldn't, you couldn't ask them <laughs> like for a cup of coffee, like it's it's all just um it's really just this this pretend world and i think there's something dangerous about that i really do so i'm like an, a very amateur language learner right so i have my duolingo on my phone um duolingo has a russian track it's not very good uh duolingo does not have a kazakh track i've found i've done like a little bit of poking around with learning kazakh like mango languages has a very short kazakh uh, unit. There's stuff on Memorize. There's some stuff you can find scattered around online. It's not the easiest language to go to from English. Like, honestly, Russian is easier, <laughs> which is saying something if you know anything about Russian. <laughs> um, but, you know, I remember I was I was playing Mango Languages in my car, and they said, to say nice to meet you, you say, Tanis Khanima Kwanishchuman. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, God. But then, like, but I will, like, have moments where, like, though they're explaining, like, how you pluralize words. And so it's like, you know, so so in order to, it's an an agglomerative language, I think is how you say it. So Mm -hmm. it's like you add things at the end. So it's like you'll add different um, suffixes, like la or tar. And I'm like, oh, like, sorak, question, soraktar questions which is the name of a 91 single so it's like i'll have these moments of like oh that's what that word is that's what but i'm ambivalent about it because like i don't know it's like trying to learn trying to learn kazakh would be a time investment and then it's like how committed am i to this group actually like how much time do i want to give um i'm already kind of self-conscious about how much time I spend and I've, you know, and, you know, and every so often I'm like, you know, six and a half years is a long time to be on one train. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a conundrum, I guess. It's because on the one hand, it would be nice to have things um, so accessible. Like if I could read all of Tatsu's essays, just someone had translated them into English. I don't have to do it myself or, you know, tax my Japanese reading abilities, um, which I, I mean, I can read Japanese, but I'm just very slow. Um, and no, yeah, cool yeah. I mean, I've spent, but I spent, I, you know, 
a long time learning how to do it. And, um, and it would be a lot easier, but there is something to, in that, um, I don't know, making those, the connections like you had with like the plural, like I've had that feeling like with Japanese stuff, like it's, it's cool. Like when it, you know, I don't know, it's like a little light turns on and, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I understand like it's, you, you know, especially as adults, like middle-aged ladies, like you don't, I don't know, like I don't have the time or, or patience or even desire to devote myself fully to like an idol group. Like I, I don't want to do that. But on the other hand, like this is something I love and, you know, I have invested all this time in this hobby and yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's, it's been rewarding for me personally to have, to have invested all the time in learning Japanese and because I've met people in Japan I never would have met otherwise and had experiences I never would have had otherwise if I couldn't speak um, and understand. Um, it, it's just there's something about being able to communicate that's, it's, mm-hmm. it, there's nothing like it. Like, I highly recommend everyone, if you have the time and patience to, to actually learn another language. But maybe not Kasuk. <laughs> Unless you really, really like 91, in which case, go for it and then share your translations. <laughs> and then please, God, yes. Yeah, the, the other thing I've, I've kind of run into that I, I conundrum that I don't know how to resolve is that I don't have another connection to the country yeah. besides this group. Um, I, not familial, not work not you know i couldn't place kazakhstan on the map before i started following 91 and now i've learned a lot about it and but like but i i know myself well enough to know that like i may not be in love with this group forever uh so you know is this something i would want if i no longer was following 91 would this be something i want to pursue and if not then does it make sense to invest a lot of time in it now? And that's, mm-hmm. I don't know. And and unfortunately, it's not just 91. It's like just getting information about the country in general is difficult. Um, yeah, well, it's it's a part of the world that is just, I mean, it is on the complete opposite side of the planet from us. But it's also, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe we've just taken on that view of like the all like the former soviet republics just equal like i don't know the sort of generic blob of like russia and moscow yeah. and st petersburg yeah if you, if you watch borat it's it's not it's making fun of generic Ru- yeah. generic soviet union there's nothing actually cause it and actually i remember reading an interview with Sasha Baron Cohen and he said the reason we picked Kazakhstan was that nobody like knew anything about it yeah (laughs) like it was just this black hole yeah and I mean I had a little bit of um knowledge coming in just because my uh, dad was very interested in the Soviet Union and so um you know just by osmosis I learned a bit and then um when I was in college I lived 
uh, in a neighborhood with um, a, a lot of Russians in Boston. And um, I had no money mm-hmm. so I'd go to the public library and just check out random um, foreign movies. And so I ended up watching like a ton of old like Soviet classics, like the <laughs> like brilliant, oh, wow. like the uh, Diamond Arm and um, yeah, just some really, really great films. And um, yeah, kind of building up. And I, and I read a lot of um, travel books. I love like a good travel narrative. So, yeah, like, I had some vague idea of Kazakhstan, but, yeah, I, I know that I'm unusual, and most people, most people uh, have not done that. <laughs> and, there, you know, it's, there's not even, like, so there was um, a movie that came out a few years ago. It's on the Criterion um, Collection channel, if anyone's interested, but it stars, um, former AKB48 member Maida Atsuko as like a, a TV host who um, she goes to Uzbekistan. It's like she's filming some sort of travel thing and it's sort of one of those like personal discovery movies. I mean the, the, the narrative itself wasn't all that interesting but I personally was interested in seeing like this depiction of um, Uzbekistan from like the like it's the the orientalist view from japan of like this you know they had all these great shots of like this uh old soviet hotel and yeah just uh, a lot of like i don't know just interesting city scenes and um yeah that's like if you're an armchair traveler like i am it was a very interesting movie but um this this is kind of i think if kazakhstan is depicted it's this kind of you know I'm sure it would be in a similar way with, you know, the old Soviet architecture and sort of these right. a- like vaguely Asian marketplaces. And um, if you go on, um, like the Instagram influencers all go to like the, what the Red Canyon, I think. Um, yeah. And just this kind of stuff that's, but like the, the, the more in-depth things like um yeah there's there's really not much really really not much I think there's one I want to say there's uh there are a few authors who have been translated to English you know this stuff's long out of print from a a very different very different era and I'm sure those guys all wrote in Russian as well but yeah it's it's uh not an easy place to um learn about but Going back to kind of what we've been talking about about fandoms, it's been it's been a strange because I won't I won't say I haven't met anybody because like I said we have a little Discord channel where we have people have come in interested not just necessarily in in ninety one but in other Q pop groups as well, um, and we have and I and I've you know occasionally corresponded with people and occasionally somebody will pop in and say hey I liked the series which is really cool but. I actually know very, very, very few other Eagles. That's the 91 fandom name. I'm maybe a dozen, like not very many at all. And what's made it weird is that sometimes I think about it and I'm like, I may have written more about this group in English than (laughs) anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like I like. Like I think I'm not sure. Like Sarah, she runs the 91KZ Tumblr, and she does. She's one of the translators for Q-pop translations. I think she she's 
done a lot, but just in terms of sheer verbiage, I may be ahead. Uh, and it's like, that's not a responsibility I really want to have. Because I was thinking about it, like, especially if the guys like try and come to the US, I'm not a good super fan. I'm not the person you want kind of rallying the troops like the, the BNF. I am not a BNF. Yeah. I'm a yeah. suburban lady in Atlanta who like doesn't like doing marketing. So yeah, but I mean that's know. that's um yeah that's the infrastructure though, and K-pop has built up this like there's a a fandom template almost that you can follow, and it's easy for people to identify. You know the BNFs, the big name fans. They act as like amplifiers, but also um, as distribution points. So if you that BNF can transmit um, like uh, voting and here's how you buy a song in iTunes and then delete it and then buy it again and then delete it and then buy it again and then delete it to, to boost your single up the charts. Like they, they spread information there. Some of these fans or most of them, I'm sure, are in touch with some sort of you know, person at the company, but I mean, not all yeah. of them necessarily, but, um, now that infrastructure does exist in Kazakhstan because I've right. seen it. I've like there, I've seen yes. the, I know the Instagram accounts of the fan sites who like put together stuff for the guy's birthdays. Right, right, right. Huh. But that doesn't exist in English. It doesn't, it does not exist. Right. As best I know, it does not exist anywhere outside Kazakhstan. Right. Um, they did go to Turkey once. This is several years ago. They did perform in Turkey. They performed in China twice, Kyrgyzstan once. I've heard that they have might have a decent fan base in Poland. I'm not oh, sure. Interesting. That may have just been a fluke of iTunes. Like yeah. one time they were like, guys, we're like <laughs> climbing up the charts in Poland. And I'm like, yay. You know? <laughs> but as far as I know, as for the U.S., there's like – no, I don't know of anything. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and I'd like to think I'd hear about it pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, the, the U.S. is just such a huge market. But yeah, those big name fans and that fandom infrastructure, yeah, they would need a very savvy, like, social media manager in English. In and English. Yeah, yeah. It, but, that, but that's the kind of thing that uh, they're there would be somebody willing to do that unpaid like a college student or even a high school student or you know somebody in their 20s early 20s with no responsibilities at all you know what i'm saying like these are the yes. kinds of people that they do they do this willingly because they love opa so much that they're gonna, <laughs> that they're going to do this and um and they're going to do it for free and they're going to be happy about it and that's just part of the the idle economy. I know those people exist because I've yeah. encountered them, and they hate me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can always pick this up for a part two uh, at some point. I don't think I don't think we got through half my list of stuff I wanted to talk about. Oh no, we can totally do a part two. Like okay. I will talk about I will talk about these guys all damn day. Like seriously, I can put up a little playlist of, of songs people should check out i don't know do you have any suggestions for if you're i mean i'm sure i'll i'll definitely have put in some music throughout the podcast right but, but um if there's anything like i i personally really enjoyed aya and uh i think that's 
if you're coming from K-pop, especially, it's a pretty easy on-ramp. Uh, like, yes. the, the visuals should be, you know, <laughs> they should read as familiar. And, like, the song is, like, yes. it should it should all read as very familiar <laughs> to you. <laughs> um, which, and it's also just, like, a good song. <laughs> But yeah, is there anything you'd suggest people check out? Oh, besides, uh, well, I Am Oz is my favorite. So I always recommend And that's why I put it in the first part of the essay in the series. I'm like, yeah. we're going to start with one. It's going to be I Am Oz. Usually I recommend Men and Men and Mask, which is like a little bit more hip hop ish. Yeah. Like Zach and Easy have both music and lyrics credits on that one. And then for OT4, as it were, actually, I, they had a song called Darn. It was like their last big single under Jeuz. Uh The problem is when they did the music video, for some reason, there's a cut in the music video. The song is not that long. So I don't know why they had to put in a cut. But the, 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 so, the music, so the music video version is like... It, it it's like no go just go listen to it on the radio or go see a live because like don't 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 deal with the music even though they look great it's just like And it's a good song. It's it's basically 91 goes Daft Punk. But <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say Darn and I would say Abuse, which was their first single in 2022. And it's it's a really it's kind of slower paced and it's just like it, it kind of lets the vocalist show off. 
it's a, it, it's got some harmonizing which they don't usually do so that's 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 a a nice change of pace <laughs> Like they they released like four singles in a row all of a sudden and like I disliked three of them. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I, I think you should include emoji though because I think it, it's yeah. like well, if you it's an interesting song. Yeah. Well, and then I just saw one they put up. Um, I actually watched it like right before, like like right before um we started recording. But they, it said album coming soon. Hold on, let me pull it up. It said. 91 it was oh yeah drift official yes, drift is a good one yeah drift album. is a good one it says album pre-promo so yes i don't know why they're doing album pre-promo in december for an album that's apparently coming out in march <laughs> okay so I was, like, or, ooh. I was like ooh, we're gonna time this episode just right like right as our album comes out <laughs> I, 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 I they said in the concerts they said march also in the emoji music video, mm. there's there's writing on the wall, and one of the reading the writing says "gap 04.29. So everybody's wondering if that means that oh, so it comes the, April, it's maybe? been pushed back to April. Like I don't, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> well, okay. I, I I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's that gonna... whole, again. They had a podcast where they talked about this. We don't know what they said. <laughs> <laughs> well okay it's all good uh you know what because this will come out people can listen yeah. become fans and then by the time the album comes out we'll be we'll be ready we'll be ready <laughs> yes <laughs> we'll have learned their names we'll, learn we'll probably their faces. have part, part two up the way they're going yeah <laughs> hmm okay so um closing song or, yeah, closing thoughts. Do you have any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's been... It's been a long, strange trip. It's, it's, it's continuing to be a long, strange trip. And I would say, it, it, in a way, it's sort of, sort of had to challenge my perceptions of myself. Because it's like... I think at this point in American culture, not speaking for anywhere else, we have normalized fandom enough that you can say you're, you know, I have a friend who's, you know, my age and she just got into BTS. And, you know, I actually have two friends my age who got into BTS in the last three okay, years. Well, you might not want to share this. <laughs> you know, no, I, I think it'll be okay. okay. But, um, but but my point is like I think there is some room in the culture for them to be like yeah I'm a, I'm a middle-aged woman and I like BTS. There's not a lot of room, but there's some room. There's not a lot of room to be like yeah I like a boyfriend and they're from Kazakhstan. Like that just that still throws people off. <laughs> right. Um 
so it, it's been kind of a challenge for me to own it. Like my my husband, he found on Redbubble, he found some like bootleg ninety one shirts, and that was my Christmas present. Oh, that's really and sweet. I, I know it was the sweetest <laughs> thing. That's cute. And then, and then, uh, and then I put it on Instagram, and I was like feeling all self conscious about putting it on Instagram, and also my Spotify Wrapped was like, "You're in the top 001 percent of <laughs> listeners for ninety one." <laughs> And uh, my kids gave me no end of grief for that. <laughs> you know what they call that? Hashtag doing the work. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to post my Spotify rap to Instagram. I'm just going to tell people, yeah, this is my, this is my group. You want to know more? Ask. Yeah, I just had to be like, I am not ashamed. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> that is, that is something to end on. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to edit this into something absolutely lovely. No, awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, I think we should go out on, I don't know. Should we play emoji for everybody? Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. what, would you, what would you like to hear going uh, out? Closing song, closing song, closing song. <laughs> oh. Actually, yeah, because it's like, it's probably going to be the most recent single. Yeah. Since you. (laughs) (laughs) And and if you, and if you, and if you're, like, to me, it just sounds like it's just like random swearing. But if you hear it and you're like, oh, this is really cool. Because it actually is kind of cool how they gave Zach the chorus. They like give the rapper the chorus. He actually does really well with it. It's just like. Zach is my favorite that I've. Really? (laughs) You have good taste. Well, in the, in the brief sort of journey that I've taken, he's uh, my favorite so far. I mean, that could change, um, you know, but for right now, anyway. He, he's a cool guy. And then, and like, and then you get to see, like, Zadra ha- has two cats. So Aww. he wasn't posting a lot about her before they got married. But once they got married, he's like total cat stepdaddy. <laughs> Let's see. See, this is the kind of content that I like. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and on that note, I'm yes. Gonna... <laughs> sign off. See, I don't talk about. I. 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 You are not putting my bias on. That you are editing this part out. Yeah, 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 yeah. This one part. Because I'm like. <laughs>
Алайда кетіп келдің қалдың болды ма деп ойлап едім тек Бейби бәрі сенше боламайды Білмесің бір үлген жүректері ұмайды Қаламайды сезім уақыт таңдамайдың Айға қарамайды Санам балайды тек кеудем тыңдамайды Fuck, 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 shake, shake, fuck, take love, baby.